Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. I am your host, as always, Evan Lynch, and today I'm joined with a very, very special guest, our newest team member, Beatrice Pastor. Beatrice is going to introduce herself, but she is from Spain. She's a Senor registered sports nutritionist, and yes, you heard correctly, she was one of the lead nutritionists with what is now known as the female Real Madrid FC. This is an interesting episode. People interested in what Beatrice has to say you will be able to work with her in a one-to-one capacity in the near future let's get into this episode okay so Beatrice Pastor welcome to the Fuel Better podcast why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know who you are? Thank you, Evan. Um, well, my name is Beatrice Pastora and I'm from Madrid, Spain. I'm a licensed sports nutritionist and I've um, studied in three different places throughout my life, in three different countries. I've been fortunate to live in Spain, uh, France and the UK. Um, I, my undergraduate was in sports uh, and exercise science that I studied at the University of Birmingham. After that, I, when I finished my graduation, I came back to Spain and I studied a master's degree in sports training and nutrition. And that's when my interest in nutrition kind of peaked, <laughs> I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate during that time to get a um, work experience with a fo- female football team that was looking to get promoted to first division here in Spain. And that's a Club Deportivo Tacón. Um, we managed to get the promotion and then Real Madrid took over the team. So they became the female Real Madrid team for mm. football. So we were training in the Real Madrid facilities, which was a really incredible experience to see what a first division team would have. Um, in terms of facilities and also uh, provision of products in terms of nutrition. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I started my IOC diploma in sports nutrition. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really managed to get a wider knowledge of how nutrition could be applied to different sports. Um, and I've just recently graduated from that. And throughout the, that time, I've been working with different um, athletes mainly team sport athletes and also um, people that go to the gym. Uh, so I'm also interested in going to the gym. Um, I enjoy exercising as well. So the reason that I've studied what I've studied throughout my life is because I've always been interested in science and sports, 
but also cooking. So I kind of bridged all of those three passions and merged them into becoming a sports nutritionist. So, yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. And actually, it's it's funny you say that you have kind of equal interests in science, cooking and, and nutrition itself. Mm-hmm. Loads of dietitians I know and sports nutritionists are really passionate about cooking. They're all kind of foodies. Um, it's not the it's not the hottest question on my mind right now, but I'm curious. What's your favorite food? Well, recently I've managed to learn how to do a really good uh, mushroom risotto. So mm-hmm. I would say at the moment that's the one. But I I don't have a favorite. I it depends on the day. If it's a really cold day, I would rather have a really hot um, meal like a hot soup with chicken, something very simple but also very tasty. So it really depends on my mood and also what the weather is like. <laughs> okay, very, very good. Very good. Do you find that having an interest in food and maybe being passionate about bringing health and science through your cooking, do you find that something clients find helpful? Yeah, um, I think it's very useful to understand how you can combine different foods to make a really tasty meal. Because, um, for example, when when I was working in the football team, players would come up to me and the most frequently asked question would be, oh, what should I have for dinner? I would ask, "Okay, what do you have? What do you have at home? Let's think what we can kind of mix together to make a nice meal that can also cover your nutritional needs. So, for example, if they had a match the next day, then they would have to up their carbohydrate intake. So it would be something with pasta or um, some rice and then whatever they had left. So maybe some chicken or some um, fish. It would really depend on what they had. I think it's um, it's probably interesting for listeners to maybe realize that whilst we spend years in college and whilst we think there's a lot of thought that goes into recommending having chicken for dinner or just having a banana before a workout it's um it, it's not just the first food you see there there actually are quite a lot of factors that go into making those decisions and I think when you're looking at college work and reading papers and it it doesn't talk about food it talks about carbohydrates and biomarkers but in reality athletes want to know what do I have before training how how did you find it your first experience in a team environment or working with people did you find there was a bit of a gap or you had to work to make theory apply to real world settings Mm, at the beginning I imagine that everyone when they start a new job it's a bit of a learning curve so Mm -hmm. you have all this knowledge that you've gathered through your studies but then how do you apply that knowledge and translate it to actually recommendations I think it's a that's the challenge really mm-hmm. and I was fortunate that I was um, the team was really welcoming so I had a lot of confidence with the players and I would be able to speak to them directly and kind of see how my recommendations would translate and how they could apply them mm-hmm. so I think that was the best learning um, environment for me to actually take all this knowledge that I had gathered and translate it to players, but also get the feedback from them to see how they felt they the recommendations were useful, not useful, so I could make any changes if needed. 
Really interesting. I have to ask, I suppose, you know, a lot of the people I might work with, it's mm. on Zoom or you never see them or you definitely can't always do a skin fold, your Isaac testing, or you can't poke them or look at them or sometimes even get bloods done. What kind of equipment and things did you have access to in, I can't pronounce the team, so I'm going to call it Women's Real Madrid. Or yeah. Real Madrid even. What kind of stuff did you have on hand? So we were fortunate that that was not via Zoom. So we, we were in person with the players. So we had skin folds that I would measure every month, more or less. If mm -hmm. It depended if there were players that we needed to be more um, on the lookout for because they were a bit less um, able to maintain stable um, with their body composition mm -hmm. or for whatever, whatever reason. Some of them wanted more monitoring. So um, every month, more or less, we also had a body composition assessment with um, bioimpedance. Mm -hmm. I think the machine was called um, Tanita or body comp something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, mainly some weight measurements, a basic. Um, also, if we needed to do something with hydration, then that would come in as well. But it was very dependent on the specific player and what they needed. Mm -hmm. And in a team setting, so, so it's something I'm relatively unaccustomed to actually is kind of team-based sports. What kind of problems do those athletes tend to have nutritionally? Nutritionally, um, well, here in Spain, um, at least some of the players were not professional, as in they, they are not um, termed as professional until this year, which they fortunately they've managed to get that recognition that they very well deserve. Mm -hmm. So most of them would be also students at the time. So they would be getting their undergraduates and also playing football at the highest level. So managing that work-life balance um, was very com um, comes with so many, many challenges, especially around nutrition of, okay, I have a training at this time and then I have to rush to the university or vice versa. What should I bring with me for a snack? Or how should I fuel myself so that tomorrow for the match I'm prepared? So it was coming to the timings of um, nutritional intake. So when should I eat? What should I eat? Those were the main questions. Also around supplements. Mm -hmm. I think um, yeah, sorry. I think there's today so many um, influencers and things that you see online and TikTok and whatever social media you're on, and they advertise their own supplements. But then we need to be reminded that they get tested for uh, banned substances. So that's also a very important um, theme to educate the players and say, okay, listen, yeah, this supplement might be sold as something very interesting, but it might come with some substances that are banned. And if you get tested and you test positive, then your career can be damaged. So you need to be very careful with this. I, um, I happen to read some work that the Irish Sports Institute sport ireland published mm -hmm. recently and the statistics horrified me about supplements and contamination and they said in europe it's something like up to 30 percent of vitamin and mineral supplements have either uh, anabolic derivatives or amphetamine traces in them which is terrifying and the the one that really shocked me i think it was something like six to eight percent of positive doping cases are from like 
vitamin C supplements, weight loss pills, not necessarily banned substances on the face of it, but athletes do have to be really mindful. How do you advise an athlete around supplements? If, if they come asking, look, Beatrice, I want a supplement. How, how do you go through that conversation with them? So first I would see what supplement they're asking for. So if, for example, I make the difference of medical supplements. So for example, iron tablets, which uh, females particularly can be more likely to have lower iron levels. So that's also something important to be working with a medical team and be able to give those instructions so that they can get those iron levels up. Mm -hmm. But then if it's nutritional supplements in terms of protein or vitamins or minerals, then I would see if we can get it through food first and if we can get the quantities that, that we need. So for example, and uh, with creatine, it's very difficult to get the amounts that you need through food. So that would be a supplement that I I, I would say, yes, this we should take this. Mm -hmm. And I would get a, a tested, a third party tested supplement that we know. So for with informed sport, that's the, the one that we would use. And then if it's something like protein, then at some points, yes, you can get a supplement because it's convenient. But if you can get it through food, you can get many more nutrients. And I would advertise that to the player and say that the conversation. And it's also, I think, very important that the players feel understood and heard. So if they come up to me and ask me a question, I try to understand their thought process and trying to help them navigate the this is what you think, and this is what the science says, and these are the dangers. So let's kind of bridge all that together and see the conclusion that we can get to and that you agree as well, because in the end, the player needs to understand why they should and should not do something. I think that's really important, actually. And similarly, that's that's something I try to do. Instead of just being the practitioner or the clinician and saying, just do that. Mm -hmm it doesn't work that much or people might not trust your opinion or they might run into the same problems over and over again. Do you find that taking the time to discuss and explain something with a player or a client, mm -hmm. it helps prevent the problem relapsing and they themselves upskill through working with you? Yeah, hundred percent. And also I think um, they that's time that you're investing in the player's understanding and it also brings you closer to them and they you gain that relationship of trust so that in the future, if they have another question or if they have any doubts, they can come to you before doing something that might be dangerous to their to their career. So taking another banned substance or something like this. So I think it's also that relationship and that closeness that you can get to the players where they can trust you more. And yeah, I think that's very important as well. Absolutely. And look, you know, sometimes I get the impression that as sports nutritionists, what people, all people think we do is tell people to eat protein and say carbs are important. But we actually have a role in making sure we safeguard the health and maybe well-being of athletes. And if they don't necessarily trust you or you challenged their beliefs without explaining them or, you know, being respectful, you might find that they, as you just said, do things that do, in fact, kind of breach their safety or their career as an athlete. So I think, yeah, that's really, really important. It's uh, 
it's good to hear that that's um that's the mentality i would imagine generally of people people like like you beatrice i'm, I'm really happy to hear that i have to ask what what um would be the biggest challenge let's say for your that team environment you were working in mm-hmm. i know the most common question was i'm really busy when and what can i eat what was the biggest nutritional problem you would have seen in female soccer players um well there's a lot of research and it's widely known that most um female athletes don't consume enough energy to meet their needs so there's the low energy availability it's quite predominant in female sports um so just i think this has to do maybe this is just me hypothesizing i think it has to do with the how much pressure is on the female body from the society i would say but it's also just the lack of knowledge and understanding of how demanding the sport actually is and how demanding training actually is in terms of the energy that you need and not only to perform but also to recover so that tomorrow you can perform as well so i would say that's the main challenge but also when they have more than one match a week recovering and making sure that they're ready and almost to their 100 which is never possible <laughs> so that making sure that they are fueled properly and that they recover properly from the matches which are very demanding and also from the training sessions i think that's the main the main difficulty that i've seen i think it's really interesting and I, i'm actually doing phd research on low energy availability it's in male athletes but you know it, yeah. it happens for the same reasons one of the one of the key drivers of it is an athlete will feel pressure to have a certain appearance or look a certain way. Yeah. That's that's maybe the more kind of disordered side of it. But then there's this whole other side of that kind where I'll take, for example, a pro cyclist I'm working with who is on his bike like 30 hours a week, 6,000 mm-hmm. calories a day. If he doesn't know he needs to eat that much, there's no way a human naturally eats 6,000 calories and it's just completely inadvertent um, under eating. And if you're not aware of it, as you said, those knowledge levels, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from your experience, what do you think the knowledge levels are like in athletes at the highest echelons of soccer? I would say it really depends on the player's personality. Some of them just show up to training, train and then leave and don't care about anything else because they have the talent and they've been doing that for the whole career. Mm -hmm. And there's also the other side of that, which is people that are really interested in, oh, how did my GPS uh, results come up today? Did I do enough? Was that my training? Was my perception of training the same as this, uh, what the GPS says? So it really depends on the player. And I think um, they, that players are, getting to a point where they are more interested in the data mm-hmm. in the end um or at least how we judged the players performances through those metrics so what we gathered from the gps because there's no cheating the gps <laughs> what, what the gps says it's the objective data there's no no one's opinion on it it's just what the the, the numbers say so 
some players would be very interested in seeing, oh, how did I do today? And others wouldn't be so interested. So it's kind of adapting your message and also trying to help the players understand, okay, today was a much harder training session. Make sure that you get that fuel that you need to recover so that tomorrow you're ready. So that that's really, really interesting. And I suppose I think people might be surprised how much team sport players actually run. And I would imagine, I'm, I'm going to ask you, the mileage or the kilometers that team sport players do in a week they're probably not too far off of what a 10,000 meter runner might do. Would I be right in saying that? I'm not sure how much a 10,000 meter runner does a week, but um, yeah, it's it's surprising. And it's also very interesting, the, the speed that they run at. So very high intensity speed sprints, which is one of the characteristics of football, because mm-hmm. as we've seen in matches, if you've ever seen one, it's towards the end of the matches where chaos comes up, everyone's tired, and then someone does a sprint and it's a goal. So the majority of occasions of scoring come from changing uh, transitions and also um, running very fast. <laughs> so players throughout the week, it's not only the amount of uh, kilometers that they run, but the speed at which they run. So, yeah. How, how many miles or kilometers do you see like generally speaking if if you were doing gps analysis on an elite soccer player what do they tend to cover in a game in a game i if i remember correctly i think it's around 11 kilometers and it depends on what position they play they run more um more sprints or less sprints so Mm -hmm. for example defenders and the people at the top, they run more sprints. Obviously, the forwards, they run forwards. And defenders usually run backwards to the goal to defend. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, but there, it's really depends on the position. And also the midfielders, they run, I think they're one of the ones that run the most because they run forwards and backwards in the pitch. So it really depends on the player. And that's why understanding the GPS uh, data, it's very useful so that you can tailor the, the nutrition to that specific player and the demands that they have. It's almost like there's three or four different types of athletes on the field at any given time. Yeah. Um, would you find, let's say, if you're talking to a goalkeeper versus a midfielder, I would imagine the carb requirements for your midfielder are going to be significantly higher yeah yeah definitely what what kind of tactics would you employ let's say the last 10-15 minutes of a game where cognitively people may be not like the most astute or they're getting tired mm-hmm. did you guys have any tactics for that or how how would you prepare a player and what does game day nutrition look like in elite soccer I think is what I'm asking yeah, so game game day nutrition starts by knowing what time you have kickoff, mm-hmm. because depending on what the time uh, the match starts, you have more or less time. So if we had an early kickoff, then the big, big carb loading, as we all know it, um, meal would be dinner and a bit of breakfast. Um, if we had uh, more time, so if we played in the evening or later in the, in the day, then we would have obviously the night before breakfast and lunch 
So that's, I would say, the easiest one to prepare for. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then in terms of um, what you were saying, how players become very tired at, towards the end of the, of the matches, um, we had a... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Christian strategy for halftime, where we would feed them either some gels or some of them would just have some um, um what is this called some like isotonic drinks with carbohydrates in them and also fruit so bananas are usually the most um asked for but yeah having some fuel and hydration during half time can significantly help the players to top up those energy levels that they've consumed during the first half so that they have enough energy hopefully to work, to manage to finish the the second half but it's also um it's important that players understand that that half time nutrition cannot cover a- everything that they need so they need to be very conscious and fuel properly throughout the previous uh, day and also the time that they have before kickoff really interesting i, I suppose I don't know, are you familiar with um, Gaelic games? Have you ever heard of that? It's kind of... Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, it, it'd be similar. I'll get, I'll get killed for saying this. It's similar to soccer in that it's a team sport. It's not the exact same, but it's similar. And if you watch it, there's a growing culture of players in the middle of the game. Let's say the ball is at the other end of the field and they're not actively in play, that they'll run to the sidelines and guess you know, some isotonic or they'll pick up a gel. Is that something you guys would have encouraged working with the, the soccer players? Yeah, definitely. If there's a, uh, the game gets stopped and players can top up their hydration, then we could have bottles with um, those carbohydrate drinks that I mentioned ready for the players to take. Some mm-hmm. of them are not very keen on taking that during the different half times we would recommend it so they can get both the hydration and the fuel that they need. And 
How about caffeine? Does that ever factor into your nutrition strategies or is, is it all proprietary information? Um, some players are very respondent to caffeine and you can get them to get that extra boost of energy or awareness that they feel. But it's also one of those supplements that you need to test properly during training because some players are very reactive to it, I would say. So they would get extremely um, excited in terms of very like uncontrolled. So they would make mistakes during the matches. So that's mm. something that you need to prevent. Obviously, you're giving the player a supplement that it's intended to help them. But if it's so overstimulating that it they don't, you know, they're not um, being themselves or playing and being focused, um, mm -hmm. that's something that you don't really need in a match. You have enough stimuli around the matches so that you need to be focused rather than be so overly aroused that you're, mm -hmm. you're yeah. <laughs> focused, not excited is kind of what you're going for here. Exactly. Um, I've seen recently that SIS, or Science and Sport, for those who don't know, they've developed nootropic gels where there is a boatload of caffeine, I think just 200 milligrams of caffeine, but it also has a load of L-theanine in it to kind of, it purports that it can kind of counteract that hyper excitement and make you just very zen and focused. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm exploring with some of my clients to see, do they get the benefits of the caffeine but not necessarily that kind of jittery, anxious feeling. So um, more to come on that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Broad strokes, Beatrice. Mm -hmm. What are the general requirements for a team sport player? Protein, carbs, fluids, all that. Is that too, is that too vague a question? No, um, I would say it depends on the objectives of the player because you have obviously the recommendations of carbohydrate loading that are very useful for preparing for matches, but also some players are trying to lose weight or gain muscle mass. So you have to factor in those as well. So giving a general recommendation, I think it really depends on what the player um, needs at the moment and also as I mentioned body composition it's something that female players need to be conscious of but not obsessed with mm -hmm. which is also something that we've seen how do you toe the line when obviously it's it's our job often mm -hmm. I think it's our job to make people's body composition like perfect mm -hmm. when you're bringing someone through that process how do you guide them through the balanced line that body composition is important, but it's not who you are as a person and it can't kind of influence your self-esteem. And it's also not the only factor because I find people fall into one of those three boxes. All mm -hmm. the what advice would you give to an athlete who's coming to you saying, listen, if I lose weight, I'll be a better player, uh, football player, tennis player, whatever. How, how would you maybe start that conversation with them? Well, as you mentioned, it's a very fine line between trying to improve performance and getting obsessed with body image and body composition. So it's a, diff it's, it's, a, um, it's a conversation that you need to have being very honest and mm -hmm. also trying to understand where the player is coming from because sometimes you find that the player is just um, 
doesn't it's not so much performance focused but body image focused mm -hmm. as i mentioned the, the pressure that they have sometimes so understanding where the player is coming from why they are looking to change body composition and um, also trying to get some um, goals setting with them so mm -hmm. if they say yeah i want to lose weight because i think that i'm going to be much faster okay let's test it let's try and do a program of weight loss mainly with our body fat obviously because we don't want to lose any muscle mass at these levels um let's see if your performance improves let's see if when you're in a match you feel better if you feel lighter if you feel like you can perform better and let's see the gps data if it says that so trying to get those check-ins i would say it's important and also how you say things to players you need to be very aware of how your um what you say can impact that person so i was very lucky to work with also the psychologist and he helped me understand the power of what we say <laughs> so i think that's um something to bear in mind because in the end sometimes players look up to us and say okay this person knows this person is educated what this person says is what i should do but as we know with nutrition it's so individual and people respond to the same treatment very differently so it's also that kind of listen let's try this strategy let's see if it works if it works fantastic if it doesn't let's find another like there's no one answer to every question there's it's you need to adapt it so much and do those check-ins and see if what you're doing is working get that feedback from the player so that's where building that report with them and that trust is so important i have two questions yeah. uh, first one were there any kind of athlete behavior <clears throat> red flags that you guys would watch out for for okay we see this athlete maybe is losing a bit of weight or they're fatiguing early in training we may need to do a dietary assessment and keep a close eye on them did you guys have any protocols like that in play? Um, we had a, one player that had gained weight. And what she was trying to do was to wear a lot of clothing during training so that she would sweat more. So we took her and we sat her down and explained that weight loss is not dehydration. That mm. we needed to do a protocol of nutrition to get that weight because she had gone through some difficult time with uh, her family and stuff. Um, so it was something outside that made her, you know, change her body composition. So we needed to help her and she needed to understand that we were there to support her because in the end, players are the assets of the team. You need to have your players ready to play because that's, that's the whole, <laughs> if you don't have players to play, then you might have the best player in the world, but if they don't have 10 other teammates, then that's, that's no use to win a match. So we sat her down and designed a protocol that she could follow easily. And we would check in the, her body composition more often than other players to make sure that she was following and also um, gain, losing that weight that she had gained. So, and also educating her and making her understand that by putting on loads of clothing and sweating during training that that would as soon as she rehydrated then she would regain that weight i would say that she had lost so it's education and also 
sitting down with the players, creating a plan together so that they can follow it and hopefully achieve the, the result that we all want. Really, really interesting. And I suppose that, that kind of weight cutting or water cutting tactic, hmm. I, I don't come across it a lot, but I know working in bodybuilding cohorts and fighters in particular, weight sport athletes, that's really, really common. And yeah. I, I've heard anecdotally people losing six kilos in like 10 days, like mad, mad stuff. Um, obviously, well, maybe obvious to us, dehydration is highly counterproductive to performance. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, did you guys keep tabs of, I suppose, indicators of maybe reds or low energy availability, like was... Was it a conversation around period tracking or menstrual health? Is that something that was there was awareness of in the team? Yeah, we tracked uh, periods with uh, an app called Clue. Mm-hmm. And in, it was a conversation that we were happy to have with players and we educated them. We educated them through um, having talks, team talks and also presentations so that they would understand that losing your period is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. So um, that would also bring in that the conversation of low energy availability, relative energy deficiency in sport. So bringing, trying to keep tabs on all those things that affect, affect females in particular and around their menstrual cycle, that was something interest, important for us so that the players were interested in understanding and that we would be able to have those conversations if something was off. Is it a problem that cropped up a lot? Mm, not really. Okay. Fortunately, fortunately, in this cohort, nothing. No, we didn't have issues around that, so that was good. <laughs> That's a good sign. And do you think that was in part? I suppose it sounded like they had a lot of nutrition support. Mm-hmm. Was there a kind of a, a generally healthy culture of? doing things to optimize performance as opposed to appearance? How was the culture of body image in the club? I would say we were lucky with the cohort that we had. We had very elite players that had years of experience. And as I said, the team had just been promoted to first division. So it was all very new. And they were very receptive of any information that we could give them to improve their performance because in the end when you come from second division to first division it's a very big jump Mm -hmm. and they were very very willing to accept any guidance or any suggestions that we had for them to try to optimize their performance so they would tap in with any of the people from the multidisciplinary team so nutrition um would have psychologists the tactical analysis the coach so everyone would bring in their little their their suggestions and the players were very very keen on on getting to get that knowledge and apply it to themselves when when you're kind of practicing now and just by the way um Beatrice is the newest member of the team here she'll be taking clients with us in the near future via zoom I just wanted to ask What's the contrast like now? So you're now you're working and it's it's just you and it's just the client, and sometimes it's just on Zoom. Have you found that different, more challenging, easier, 
how has that change been for you? I would say it's uh, less chaotic. <laughs> That's the, the best answer I can give, because in the end, when you're in a team setting, inside the team setting, you're dealing with 20 players at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's difficult to get to everyone. And in this other uh, setting where it's via Zoom and with uh, one-on-one consultations, I it's much easier for me to connect with that person and get their help them in anything that I can because I have the time to actually invest in them so I think that's the biggest difference for the better (laughs) 100 um you are lucky to have I suppose studied in a variety of places Mm -hmm. I was just curious because it's something I noticed when I I studied in Malta Mm -hmm. I did dietetics there the culture around food is way different. Even if you only fly two hours away, it's insanely different. Yeah. How how did you see it that, you know, if you were working with an Irish or a UK-based athlete versus, say, someone in Spain, would they feel or think differently about food or would they have different questions or concerns? I think, yes, I think I, I, I wouldn't I would say there's no doubt that there is differences so that's why for me it's so important to have the consultation and understand what that person does so mm-hmm. one of my strengths is that I invest the time that is needed so that I can understand that individual and see understand why they do things why they choose this food versus the other so it, it because I've been used to people from different countries different cultures that's one of my strengths. So understanding what that person does, if it's culture-wise, how we can make some changes so that their nutrition needs are covered with respect and respecting that culture and those um, things that they've been doing since they were little. So for example, in the team, we had someone from Nigeria or South Africa. Their food there is very, very different from what we have here in Spain. So she was able to um, tell me what she would eat. And I understood, okay, this is a carbohydrate source. This is great. This we can put this instead of rice because you prefer it or instead of pasta. So it's adapting what I, my nutritional advice to that person being respectful of their culture, the country that they're from, and also why they do things. So, yeah. I think that's really important. And you know what? I think it's important for people like me and you, if we're talking to a client or a patient and maybe it's a culture you don't come across a lot, or maybe, maybe it's a different type of food. I have found just saying, could you tell me about the things you like to eat? What, what are your kind of go-to foods? What is customary for you? You write it down. And I've never been afraid to say to someone at the end of a call, look, I actually need to go and do a little bit of research here and I'll, I'll come back to you. And I think people respect that much, much more if you don't just uh, bullshit your way through a consultation. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with um, going, confirming some things and then coming back to them with a the report. I've, I've, I've never been afraid to do that. However, as I've just jumped back into academia, I can see or I could see why people would afraid to appear not to know everything all the time because sometimes 
sometimes that pressure is on people as you said look up to us and think oh you know they've been to college they've studied clearly yeah. they know everything <laughs> like, yeah. everything if and, we knew everything god i don't I've, I've no clue how big our head would be if we knew everything. <laughs> it's impossible it's impossible and i think it's impossible at any 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 level of whatever you studied it's impossible to know everything and i think it's also as you've mentioned it's very important that we understand our limitations within that we don't know every food we don't know every ingredient that you can put in something we so understanding that and saying okay i'll get back to you on this i need to do some research or it might be some new supplement that we've that came up yesterday and we haven't had the chance to look it up so i agree with you and it's something that i also do is if i don't know something i'll make a note research it and get back to you because what we've had through our um, education is they've taught us the ability to research something and get the knowledge from sources that are you know, reliable, not just maybe some random web browser. <laughs> so that's that's the skill that we've learned. And that's the, the strength that we have, that we can look up things when we don't know the answers. I think um, that's responsible practice. You know, you, you're, you're kind of safeguarding everyone there. Do you know what? I'm really happy and I'm kind of relieved that we cross paths and that you're going to be joining the team because clearly you have a lot to offer to, let's say, anyone doing team sports, gym work, generally the areas. I, I specialize in endurance athletes. Like it's totally different sector of sports. And I'm just, I'm, I'm delighted that you're going to be there and you're going to be able to take these clients and help them to, you know, that that real high level. And I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of results you get with people and hearing the feedback um and just generally having you on the team you know it's going to be very much i'm really really looking forward to to getting started you might have to teach you some irish though that's the only thing no problem no problem (laughs) (laughs) Um... i can get the basics i'm 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 up for anything i'm up for the challenge (laughs) Good, good good um beatrice so before before we finish today's episode Tell me about your ideal client. Who are the people that you can help the best? Well, um, the experience that I've had the most, it's people that go to the gym and are looking to change their body composition. So losing, gaining fat, or even just improving their nutritional knowledge. And Mm -hmm. also team sports settings, um, mainly football and female athletes. So any of those. But Fortunately, with the IOC diploma, I've been able to see different sports. So I'm up for, for the challenges that, that come up. And I'm really, really excited and looking forward to getting started. So thank you, Evan, so, so yeah. much for the opportunity. No worries. My, my pleasure. I think, I think people are going to find this an interesting episode. On my podcast today, it's just me spouting on by myself about things I think are interesting. But yeah. Very rarely can you hear a conversation between two maybe sports nutrition professionals who actually work actually work in the area, and it's it's always interesting to get an insight and a different kind of slant on things. So, yeah, it was a pleasure to have you on. I'm sure we'll have you back again. And for all of the listeners, you can follow Beatrice on Instagram. Beatrice, what's your Instagram handle? It's at bia underscore nutripower. 
and that's B-E-A underscore. Yeah. Fun fact, Bia means food in Irish. Really? <laughs> I thought you did that on purpose, yeah. No, I have no clue. <laughs> it's just the short shirt. It's the first three letters of my name. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay. Symbolic. <laughs> um so you you can follow her on instagram there she will be up on my website it's getting updated at the moment but ba will be up there there will be links that you can apply to work with her in the near future so if you are team sport athlete a gym goer a generally keen athlete someone who can change your body composition please do reach out beatrice will be taking on clients in the near future okay guys thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode if you want to reach out to Beatrice, as you know, you have her Instagram handle. I would encourage you to do so. She's very, very nice, very easy to talk to. I'm sure you'll you'll get a question or two answered, no problem. Okay. Definitely. Thank you very much, Ethan. And thank you everyone for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.